You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. I'm starting a new series today, calling it Family Matters. And it's not really a, a relationship or family series, but we're, we're going into a family in the scriptures that Jesus meets. And it's probably one of the most revealing uh, uh, interactions that Jesus has with a family unit. Now, these guys are not specifically a traditional family of parents and kids, but they are three siblings, three siblings that Jesus meets. But today I want to start with the message uh, in this series, Family Matters, and I'm titling it The One Thing. And I want to read a passage for you. It's the first time Jesus encounters this family, and it's found in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, and it says, Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, for those of you who don't know, I am a father of three have three daughters, and our eldest one is six years old now. She just turned six in March, and uh, we're coming up to a season in our lives now where uh, I'm realizing that as a dad, I have to teach her certain things that I didn't realize that needed to be taught. You know, you're coming up to an age where there's certain things that I didn't really know. Oh, you actually have to explain this to her. One of the things, I'll give you an example. Maya one day came up in the room, and Alini and I were sitting in the living room, and she just shared a joke. She, and, and it was so funny. It was like real funny, like not kid funny, <laughs> we're going to give you a laugh because it's, we're your parents and we're sympathetic at your attempt to be funny. It was actually funny. And so we busted out laughing, and it, it was really, really funny. And she caught it. She realized that five years old, she was five at the time, she realized it's almost like she gained a superpower because now she can make adults laugh. So it's almost like she discovered this ability that she had to be funny. And if you know kids around that age, being funny is everything. They want to be funny. They want you to laugh at them and laugh with them. And so when she realized that she could make jokes, she started coming up with different jokes. Some of them were actually actual jokes that she said. Some of them were like pranks and things that she tried to do and try to scare us and come around the corner because she wanted to make us laugh. And, but then she started doing this thing where she would repeat the same joke 30 seconds later <laughs> because she wanted the same reaction. I don't know if you ever had a kid do that to you. And at first, we didn't really know what to do. And so Alina and I would kind of laugh, 
you know, and then the, the, the laugh became like a sympathy laugh. And all right, that's funny, girl. Yeah, it's all good. But she's too smart to, for that. She realized that we were laughing for her, not necessarily at the joke. So it was a little inner conflict, a little five-year-old inner conflict here. And I might be, you know, just looking into it because for every parent, their kid is a genius, right? So I'm like, maybe she is having an internal conflict thinking that she's not funny anymore, that she's losing her mojo. So let me sit her down and explain the situation to her. So I had to explain to her, baby, you need to understand this about being funny and about jokes. A joke will never be as funny as the first time it's told. Because a big part of the humor, it's the element of surprise. And as I'm saying this, I'm like, I wish somebody had told me that when I was five. I wish somebody had told me that, you know, jokes are not. Because I remember trying to repeat jokes when I was like eight, nine. <laughs> so I explained that to her. And I think that that, that simple, that simple uh, uh, example reveals part of our nature. It reveals part of our, our makeup, how we act and react in certain situations. Because from childhood to adulthood, we naturally discover triggers and things that make people react the way that we want them to react. And when we realize that we are causing them to react in, in the way that we want them to react, we just repeat that again and again and again and again. And you probably have come to a place where the thing that caused a positive reaction after some time began to cause a negative reaction. I don't know if you ever experienced that. I'm sure you have. And when you come to that place, it's, it's very disempowering. It's an experience that makes you feel like it's easy for you to feel like you're the problem and there's something wrong with you or you've met your ceiling and you know how to get past that. I'll give you an example. Um, let's say you're dating somebody or you dated somebody and that person or you heard uh, something like, I love how organized you are. You are so precise. Your ability to be organized and keep things right, it's, it's something that I value. It's so beautiful. Then a few months into the marriage, it's like, why does everything have to be on the schedule? Can't you just relax a little bit? Why are you so uptight? Just take a chill pill, babe. The same quality that was a point of attraction, the same quality that was praised, the same trait that got you in the door, now is a point of tension. Yeah, I think you've been there. How about this? I love how hardworking you are. You're such a hard worker. Yeah. And a few, time, a few, a few months later, all you do is work. Can't catch a break. I have no time for me. All you do is work. You just work, 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 work. It's the same quality that was praised now is despised. How about this? You got a job and two weeks in, they, look at, they looked at you and said, we love your attention to detail. That's what we need in this company. We need somebody that can pay attention to the details and, and, and take action and go after those things that need to be solved. That's leadership. Good for you. And good on you. And you feel confident and go like, yeah, this is amazing. I found my part. A few months into your job and the organization, you start discovering things in upper management that need to get better. <laughs> you decided to discover things about the culture of the company that could be bettered. 
And so you send emails. And you make phone calls. And you send text messages. And you say, hey, you know this thing, maybe you should do it that way. Or you know this thing that we always do, that's not good. It does, it's, not, it's not good for the company. And now you're not the person who has attention to detail. You're the fault finder. Now you're the person who, you know, you're negative. You're, you're being critical of leadership. And the same quality that got your favor now is the quality that causes tension. The same thing that caused you to find favor now is not opening doors for you anymore. And what once worked now is working against you. You know, in this passage, we look at Martha, and it's easy for us to look at Martha and Mary and immediately see the difference between the two sisters. We can look at Martha, and we can look at Mary, and we can realize, oh, here are two types of personalities. There are two types of, of people. Actually, we can look at them and, and see two profiles, two approaches to life. Because it says that Martha was the homeowner. Martha was the host. It was her house. And Mary, Mary was there too. So Martha was the professional. Martha was the responsible party. Martha had a 401k. Martha had health and dental. Martha had a savings account. She had a mortgage. Martha was the responsible one. And Mary, well, Mary was along for the ride. Mary was sitting there. Martha was the methodical, the scripted, the let's get things done person, the lists maker. She was the person that was driven. And Martha, or, or Mary, you know, Mary was the free-spirited one. Mary was about peace and love, you know. In the morning, Martha would wake up, put on her business suit, and go to the office for a board meeting. Martha would roll out of the house with her Skinny ripped jeans, her peace and love t-shirt with her Polaroid going on a nature walk. That's Mary for you. You know, Martha, if you look at Martha's closet, it's all color coordinated. And then the clothing is divided in seasons. You have spring, you have summer, you have fall, you have winter. You know, the shoes are neatly organized in the, in the closet. And Mary hasn't done her bed in a month. I know you laugh me because if you're the older sibling and, and you have a younger sibling, you probably see some of these discrepancies in your own household, right? You probably have experienced that in real life. These are two types of personalities. You know, and if, you're, if, you're, if you read this scripture, it might seem like a lesson on profile, on personality profile. It might seem like this scripture is trying to reveal two kinds of people and what kind of people we should be, we should be more like or maybe what kind of person or, or, or the kind of balance that we have to find between those two personalities. See, because if you're a Martha, you look at, at this scripture and you say, yeah, go Martha. You get your sisters to, uh, sister to work. You're doing all the work and she's just sitting there? Yeah. Good for Martha. But if you're a Mary in the room, you're like, how dare she? What is she thinking? Using the Lord to manipulate her sister. I'm so glad Jesus didn't fall for that. Because how dare she? 
Well, there's a, there's a little bit more at play in this scripture because you may think that this is about relaxing. You may think that this is about balancing personalities. But if you pay attention and, and, you, and you consider the context of, of their life and their lifestyle, there are two other aspects that we have to take into account here. Because Martha was part of a culture. She was part of a belief system that caused her to value hospitality. See, the first aspect that we have to consider is hospitality. Because in Jewish culture, hospitality is very, very, very important. It's the most important thing, really, when, when you're hosting people, when you're bringing people into your home. In fact, some rabbis actually consider hospitality as important as worshiping God. In the Old Testament, hospitality is spread across all, many of, of the books, especially in the Torah, the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, even in, in Judges, you see stories of the importance of hospitality. Some of them are good, some of them are bad. In some cases, even the host of a foreigner, the host of a sojourner, would rather harm his children than harm the person that he was housing. Because hospitality was considered the same as worshiping God. It was a service unto God. So for Martha, this was a serious, serious thing that was happening. Because Martha, Martha was trying to honor her tradition. She was trying to honor her uh, uh, background. And tradition was a huge, huge part of their culture, of their customs. And so here's Martha. She's invoking Jesus' authority. Not because Jesus is the guest and his, she's trying to embarrass her sister, but because Jesus was a rabbi. Jesus was an authority in Jewish scriptures. Jesus knew the importance of hospitality. And so she is sure that Jesus is going to say something that will wake up Mary and say, Mary, you know, go help your sister. Because this is important. This is how you fulfill the law. See, this, this, this was a culture where hospitality was not just a custom. It was a commandment. And so Martha is in this situation where what she's trying to do, she's trying to do the right thing. She's trying to come up to the level of the scriptures and fulfill what is expected of her. And because of the tradition of hospitality, there's another element that, play, that, that, that plays a part which is the aspect of reputation. Because Martha, Martha had a reputation. See, it wasn't random that Jesus went into Martha's house. Jesus had a system. He had a system of how to select a home whenever he came into a village. He didn't just choose people at random. He had a specific system. And he actually taught his disciples this system. We find it in scriptures, Jesus' system. First uh, passage is in Matthew chapter 10. Verse 11, uh, I'm going to read it to you. It, it says, In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. This is Jesus telling his disciples when he's sending them out. This is what you do when you come into a new village, a new area. You find out who is worthy. You ask around and discover who is the person that is worthy, who is a good host. So that we may stay there. And there's another passage in Luke chapter 10. 
where he continues. He says, And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. Jesus had this system to select a place to stay. So we can conclude from this structure, from this criteria that Jesus had, that Martha, Martha was a worthy person in that, in that village. Martha was known for being a good host. Martha was the person who everybody in the village said, if you want to have a good meal and you want to find the right person, you go to Martha's. This is the best version of Airbnb you can find in the first century, guys. In fact, sometimes I wonder if Airbnb didn't take their idea from this passage. Because this is what Jesus would do. He would come into a village. So the word on the street is this. Martha is the best person for you to stay, uh, the best host that, to serve you. The best place for you to stay. Go to Martha's. And now Martha is trying to do and to keep up her reputation. She's doing everything she can to keep up her reputation. In a culture where hospitality, like I said, was not an option. It was not just a, co a custom. It was a commandment. Martha was the best of the best. She was excellent at it. And now she's in a situation with Jesus in this place where she's trying to fulfill those standards. She's trying once again to keep the standard, to keep her reputation, to fulfill the law. And she's riding on that personality that she has to get the stuff done, to make things happen. And so she is there, and for her to fulfill that, it meant dinner has to be served on time. It meant the casserole cannot be burned in the oven. But at the same time, She's trying to fold the napkins. At the same time, she's setting the table. At the same time, she's making mashed potatoes. At the same time, she's cooking green beans. At the same time, she's making some chicken fried chicken. I don't know, I'm just going southern now. You hungry yet? So this is Martha trying to handle this party. And we read in the scriptures, the only people mentioned there is Jesus, Martha, and Mary. But certainly it wasn't just them. Because Jesus didn't roll alone. And whenever Jesus would come into a house, it was so that he could host people and minister to them. So we can assume that there was a group of people there. That there was a quantity of people there that caused Martha to be upset and to be stressed. And to go like, what, what am I going to do? Jesus, don't you see that things are falling apart? Don't you see that my duty, like I'm not, I'm not being able to, I, I can't just keep this up. So won't you tell my sister to come? And help me. The shocking part is not that Martha invoked Jesus' authority as a rabbi and that she invoked his influence to call her sister into the, 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 to fulfill the commandment of hospitality. The shocking part is Jesus' response. The shocking part is that Jesus didn't validate her. The shocking part is that Jesus looked at Martha and said, Martha... It's okay. Martha, you, you, your sister actually made the wise choice. She's sitting at my feet. 
She did the right thing. And you know what? You need to do like her. You need to capture this. And you're missing the point. You're missing out on what's going on here because you're so stressed and you're so vexed and you're so anxious. Just calm down. That's the, per the part that really is shocking in this passage. Now, if you're a Christian, you probably read this passage and you, you in your mind, probably drew a line between Martha and Mary. And, and, and you try to place yourself in that spectrum. Am I too much of a Martha today? I've got to be more like a Mary. Am I, am I going too Martha today? Let me, let me come back. And, but this, to, 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 to think that this is just a personality or approach profile, that Jesus was trying to get Martha to have more of Mary's personality, it's, it's a, missing the point. If anything, what Jesus was was addressing is our reliance on ourselves and our own personality and our own traditions and our own reputation. See, Martha was trying to keep something up, but, you know, Jesus is looking at her and saying, Martha, you, you're just, you're fearful that the joke is losing its humor. In other words, you're fearful that, that, your quality is now going to become something that is not treasured anymore. You're fearful that you're going to lose your influence. You're missing out on what is actually happening here. And then Jesus is so good because, you know, he hones into the problem, the actual problem, which is not Martha's workload. It's not Martha's responsibility as a host. That's not the problem. The problem is not the weight that's put on her. And we're going to see that in two weeks. So you got to be back. But Jesus looks at Martha and he hones into the problem and, and, and he points at the problem like he's, he zeroes in. He's so good. He says, Martha, you are vexed and you're worried and you're anxious about many things when you should be concerned with one. Your concern should be one thing. And you're just worried about many things. And here we are, 2,000 years later, and this passage still hits right on the heart, doesn't it? 2,000 years later, and we still struggle with the many things. And we still tr struggle between choosing the many things or the one thing. 2,000 years later, and we're here battling through the many things. And the one thing. See, it can happen in your life. Like if you're a parent in the room, you can think, my child, for my child to succeed, for my child to be all that they can be, they need this, 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 and that, and the other. And so I need to work hard for these many things because that's what they need. When in reactuality, the one thing they need most is you. The one thing they need most is your time. The one thing they need most is your love. But we end up making the one thing serve the many things. Instead of doing what actually needs to be done, which is have the many things serve the one thing. And today I want to encourage you to focus on the one thing. 
Because we, we battle with this, don't we? You know, in our marriages, we battle with the many things. Because we think if we're going to last, we need this, we need that, we need the other, we need the house, we need the car, we need two vacations a year, we need a date night every other day. We need the money, we need the savings account, we need all that, so I need to, I need to work hard and, and focus on all these many things. And when actually the one thing you need is to become one, is to work at becoming one. That's the one thing that is most important. What, Jesus, what did Jesus say? The two shall become one. So if you're married in the room, you know, the main thing you've got to focus on is becoming one. doesn't matter if you live in a one-bedroom apartment in the bad part of town or if you have a six-bedroom house in the fancy part of town. If you're not focusing on the one thing, it's going to be hard for you to make ends meet. It's going to be hard for you to go through the challenges of life. You've got to focus on the one thing that is actually necessary. And Martha, Martha here, Martha is struggling because she has many things in front of her. She has many responsibilities for her to keep up. And she's missing the one thing. In fact, she's enlisting the one thing to serve her many things. She's enlisting Jesus to serve all of her lists. She's saying, Jesus, won't you tell my sister that I need help? And don't we do that? Don't we come sometimes to a place like this or to our bedroom at the end of a rough day and we say, Jesus, don't you see all that I'm doing and all the things that I have my hand on? Oh, look at all the Marys. All the Marys that could be help, helping me. Would you send me some help because of all these many things that I have on my plate? When Jesus is actually saying, I'm in your house. I'm in your life. And you are missing the one point. The main thing is not the food you're about to order or about to serve, Martha. The main thing is that I have come into your house because I want to come into your heart. And if you're here this morning, whether you're a church person or not, maybe you're here and you've never been to a church before. This is not a religious thing. This is not a Christian thing. This is not like a uh, got to sign up for a religion thing. And I, this is a you and God and Jesus Christ thing because he is in your life. And sometimes we're so busy that we don't even realize that God has been there all along. We're so busy with the many things that all we want as a proof that God is in our lives is that he would command some help so that we can handle the many things when all along he's saying, you know what? You need to focus on one thing. You need to switch your priorities. You need to exalt what needs to be exalted. Instead of being focused on the many things, what you need to do is sit at the feet of Jesus and receive the life of God. You may be trying in your own way to achieve peace, to achieve love and, and forgiveness and health and wealth and to make a way for your life. And, you know, the, the, the dreams that God put on the inside, they, they are not the problem. The work that he puts on your hand, that's not the problem. The problem is our priority and, and, and putting those things on top of everything and, 
spreading ourselves thin when what Jesus is saying is, I have the life that you need. I have the abundant life that you're searching for. I have, and I want to give it to you, but would you focus on the one thing? And if you're here this morning and you, you haven't been in a relationship with God, I want to challenge you this morning. I want to invite you into a relationship with God. Clean start. Fresh start. Clean slate. Maybe you've, you've been in church before a long time ago. Maybe you've had a relationship with God a long time ago and it didn't look like what you expected it to be. Could it be that you were focusing on the many things and hoping that God would help you along? So I want to I encourage you to keep it simple this morning and re-engage and saying, God, I, even don't, I don't even know what it all means. I don't really know what this, how this all is going to come together. But I'm going to put you above. And I'm going to put everything else beneath. And I'm going to focus on the one thing. And for you, the one thing is making sure that you recognize that God is in your life. And that Jesus has brought the abundant life that you have been searching for. So let's focus on the one thing. Do you receive it this morning? Don't you mind standing?